Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of John. My name is Jonathan Chan. So glad that you can continue this journey with me as we embark on the Gospel of John. Today, we will be taking a look at John chapter 8. Yes, John chapter 8. But before we begin, let's start off with a video clip, and we'll be right back. Two rules that cannot be broken, Jonathan. No blood on continental grounds, and every marker must be honored. Now, while my judgment comes in the form of excommunicado, a high table, demand a more severe outcome if their traditions are refused. I have no choice. You dishonor the mark, you die. You kill the hold of the mark, you die. You run, you die. This is what you agreed to, Jonathan. Do what the man asks. Be free. Then, if you want to go after him, burn his house down, be my guest. But until then, rules. Exactly. Rules. Without them, we live with the animals. Well, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the video clip. That scene was taken from John Wick Chapter 2. That's right, John Wick Chapter 2. There was three of them. This is number two. Apparently, the fourth one's coming up very soon. So, in that scene, um, uh, what's Winston? That's right. Sorry, my apologies. Winston, the character Winston, was telling Mr. Wick, who is played by Keanu Reeves, to, to tell him that we have rules, and rules are to separate us from the animals. But then, we notice that if you ever watch these movies, if you have seen these movies, the John Wick movies, you would know that these rules only benefit a particular group of people, and that's the high table. Anyone below them, i.e. like Keanu Reeves' character, John Wick, and other assassins and whoever, everybody below them seem to be hurt or it doesn't benefit them. These rules don't even benefit them. These rules are basically to keep that hierarchy, uh, the elite group, which is the high table, and all the other people under the table remain under the table. So these rules separates them from the high table and under the table. Has nothing to do with uh, protecting the people under the table. It only protects the interests of the high table. So today we will be looking at how the Jews i.e. the temple priests, Pharisees, and the teachers of the law, use the rules, i.e. the law of Moses, for their own benefit, and how Jesus upended their perception of those rules and how they use them. Sure, okay, some of you may be very keen on knowing your Bibles, and especially in the Psalms, where many of the passages in the Psalms say that the Old Testament, that the law of Moses was supposed to be the light, you know, the, the light that guides your path to life. But because of how the Jews used the rules, used the law of Moses, it didn't provide a light that guided to life. It was used to condemn, judge, and especially just for their own benefits. These rules are for them to condemn others and not even condemn themselves like we have discussed in the previous chapters. And like the rules John Wick faced with a high table, 
Jesus wants to upend these very rules of the Pharisees, temple priests, and teachers of the law. And how did he do it? Let's begin. John chapter 8, verse 2. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. See, we are still in the Feast of the Tabernacles. Just remember that since chapter 7. If you recall from the last chapter, the Feast of Tabernacles had two important symbols, water and light. We've already discussed water to a quite of an extent, especially with Nicodemus and also the previous chapter. You know, water being the living waters, i.e. God's gift of the Holy Spirit that cleanses sin and gives eternal life. Water that was also mentioned when Jesus encountered the Samaritan woman at the well. And now we will be exploring light. But before John heads into the light discussion, which is coming soon, he puts this story in between the water and light discussion. The woman caught in adultery. Why would he do that? Well, there are two notables in this passage that might explain why this story is sandwiched between the two important symbols of the feast. The law of Moses and Jesus writing twice on the ground. Those two symbols we need to take a note of. Once again, it's the law of Moses and Jesus writing twice on the ground. Not just once, but twice. John asks his readers, including you and I, where have we seen this before? Well, it was during the Exodus. Moses threw the tablets down after God wrote the law with his finger, right? And then when he found out that when Moses came down and saw the Israelites committing adulterous acts and idolatry, he got so angry and he broke them and he went back up again and asked God for mercy and grace, which God gave to Israel and because God showed grace and mercy to Israel, again, God wrote the law the second time with his finger on tablets and gave it to Moses. That's what should be going on in our minds and in John's readers' minds. That when Jesus wrote twice with his finger, coupled with the law of Moses, we should go back to the story where God showed grace to the Israelites again, and gave them the law, which gave them that distinction as God's people. God showed grace and mercy. That's the whole idea of Jesus writing twice on the ground. So keep that in mind. And we blast to this scene of the story of the adulterous woman. The Jews, i.e. the Pharisees, temple priests, and the teachers of the law, 
They cited the law of Moses to condemn and judge the woman, testing Jesus to see how he would respond to trap him. And Jesus responds with, quote, the one who is without sin cast the first stone. Once they heard that, they knew full well that none of them were sinless in the eyes of their own rules, i.e. the law of Moses, the rules that they prided themselves of guarding. Each one of them, starting with the old, deserved to be condemned and judged. And quite frankly, based on the Old Testament law, you cannot be a witness and stay as a witness if you yourself committed adultery. So when they left, it means that they too committed adultery and deserve to be sentenced to death just like the woman. So therefore, they left one by one. They knew that they wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for God's grace today, at that moment, and also God's grace back then in the Exodus. So how can they condemn and judge someone else using the very law they prided on? And hence, they left. They realized that they were still enslaved by their sin and condemned by the very rules they prided themselves of possessing. So why is the story in the middle then? Well, we see the living waters in action here in this story, i.e. the woman was not condemned but cleansed from her sin. We also see the light story, Jesus as light in action by revealing the sins of these Jews who tried to trap him, but not only revealing the sin, but Jesus providing that light to guide the woman who was caught in adultery, guide her to freedom from condemnation and into life. Isn't this awesome? John putting this story to transition the story from, to transition the themes from water to light by combining those two themes into a practical, really practical, real life story in the middle. Okay, let's go on to the story of light. John chapter eight, verse 12 to 16. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the father who sent me. I remember these, those old movies where a suspect is being interrogated by the police officers at a police station and the lamp was mainly shining on the suspect and no one else, right? Now, this light seems to make an attempt to reveal a dark secret or find something to determine whether the suspect is innocent or guilty, right? And when the light does find something, it's like this light acts like a finger pointing at this suspect saying, aha, I knew you're naughty. That's what the law was for the Jews. It was a light, but all it did was reveal, condemn, and enslave people who they do not like, like the Samaritans, like the sinners, whoever was outside of their circle. And not only that, just like the interrogator pointing the light at the accused, the Jews used the law not on themselves, but on others because of their own personal agendas, i.e. judge according to the flesh, as Jesus said. This is what it means by judging according to the flesh, by judging people with your own agenda, using the law that's not supposed to be used that way, but they use the law, their rules, these rules of the law of Moses to accuse others and not on themselves. Jesus says that I am not that kind of light. Sure, Jesus reveals our sin, but he's here not to condemn us, but to reveal it and to save us from it. 
save us from our sin, and give us a direction, a guide, a light, a way to freedom from condemnation and into eternal life. Let's move on. Verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is the slave to sin. That slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot hear, bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Whew, such a slap in the face with that one, eh? that comment, like children of the devil. It's interesting that Jesus has now turned to a different audience right in the beginning. If you recall from the beginning when I started this passage, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, the Jews who believed him. This is similar to what he did in chapter six. Remember that one when he challenged the supposed disciples faith and many left him because of his hard sayings. Well, we see here that Jesus again is challenging the supposed believers faith. Jesus begins with this. The truth will set you free. Remember the story just before this? You know, the woman who was caught in adultery, the Pharisees who dragged the woman to test Jesus left the scene because they were still slaves to their sin. They were never free, even if they were genealogically Abraham's descendants. If you recall from our previous discussions, they thought that being a child of Abraham, being an Israelite, ethnically Israelite, they're good. They're in God's family. They're God's children. They're free. But Jesus says, no. These so-called believers thought that just because they were Jews by ethnicity, they too were free and hold the title of God's children since, hey, God's children are free, right? However, they weren't. Jesus says they are still slaves to sin. That even though they were ethnic Jews, even though they were circumcised because of their sin, they are not in God's children. They do not have that title. So quickly, these so-called believers suddenly turned against Jesus right after when Jesus said the truth will set you free. And they wanted to kill him as we read in this passage. Quite quickly, eh? just after one statement, they changed in a split second to try to kill Jesus. Why? Because they lost their entitlement of being God's children. Jesus took it away from them. They thought that being the, that number one rule to be God's children was to be an ethnic Jew and circumcised. That is not the case, Jesus says. If they were indeed children of Abraham, then they should behave like him. 
Abraham rejoiced and placed his faith in the messengers who God sent him. Yet these Jews in front of Jesus, instead of rejoicing and welcoming Jesus as their water and light, they wanted to kill him because Jesus is ruining their entitlement and identifying their sin. They thought that because they were Jews by ethnicity, i.e. circumcised and have done their other ritual qualifications according to the law, they were by default God's children. They're it. They're done. They're in. However, if they only listened to what Jesus was saying, they should recall in places like Malachi, Micah, and Jeremiah, where God told Israel that even though they were of ethnic descent and have done their ritual initiations, God didn't really care unless they obeyed him. Case in point, here's one example where God tells Israel of their disobedience, of their lack of trust and faith in him. And this is what happened to them back in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 25. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. In other words, the Lord God says, it doesn't matter if you are an ethnic Jew. I could care less if you have your circumcision and you do those rituals. Unless you have faith in me, trust in me and obey me, and not depend on yourselves, you're as good as everybody else. You're as good as everybody else. You do not have that title as the children of God. So, Jesus is saying, if indeed Abraham was their father, they should imitate their father by being faithful and believe in God, who happens to be in front of them, Jesus. Yet because of their selfish behavior and imposing the law on others and not allowing God's will at all, they disqualified themselves as Abraham's true descendants. They were even willing to break their own law to kill Jesus, who have committed no crime or broken any law. That is why Jesus says, this is a sign that they are children of the devil. When they're trying to kill people and when they're, trying, and when they're do, uh, creating lies about people and, when they don't, and they don't even have faith in Jesus. Their faith, as D.A. Carson said in his commentary, is fickle. Now, let's move on. Verse 48, the Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? <laughs> what a defensive tactic, eh? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and have you, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Ego, emi in the Greek. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. When Jesus said that the Jews were judging by the flesh earlier in the chapter, this is another example of judging by the flesh. They are judging Jesus's credibility within their own preconceptions and putting Jesus in the box. They cannot fathom or imagine that Jesus is God himself because like in previous chapters, 
Jesus didn't fulfill their credentials, right? They see Jesus as a human being who will likely die of old age or something else, but they couldn't see past that. Why? Well, Jesus shook their pride and pointed out their sin of wanting to glorify themselves and not God and are unrepentant of it. Once Jesus pointed out their selfish agendas, they immediately wanted to kill him and discredit him. They didn't even want to listen to him anymore. They thought that because of their ethnicity and their possession of the law, just merely possession of it, by the way, they know everything about God. But in fact, they only know God within their own definition of who they think God is. Jesus is saying, you have no idea who God is because the pride, your pride has blinded you. And then the clincher that really got them riled up. All along, they thought that in order to remain as God's children was ethnicity and ethnic rituals such as circumcision. Jesus upends it by saying, before Abraham, he is God. Completely disqualifying them as God's children since Jesus is now saying that in order to be God's children, to receive living water and be guided by the light that leads to life is now in him and through him. That that really got them angry. They got so angry, they didn't even bother letting Jesus' words, quote unquote, abide in them. All right, to summarize. So what are rules for? What was the law of Moses for? Are they to be used to subdue and accuse people just like what the Jews were doing and just supporting their own agendas and glorifying themselves? Are they used to create dominance over others and create a group of people with elite status, just like the Jews, and the, like the Jews, the Pharisees, temple priests, and teachers of the law? Are rules there to seek out people's darkest secrets so that when they are revealed, the one holding the rules can say, aha, I'm better than you. That's what the Jews were doing with the law of Moses. They were using the law of Moses to their advantage and to benefit their agendas. They used the law of Moses not to be a light to all nations that guides them to God, but to keep people they don't like out of their elite circle. People like the Gentiles, the Samaritans, the sinners, such as the woman caught in adultery, the sick and paralyzed in chapter 5, and people they just don't agree with like Jesus, they wouldn't point the rules at themselves. Never. Instead, because they were Abraham's direct genealogical descendants by blood, they thought they were exempt from the rules. This law was actually not for us to practice, but to point out other people's faults. This law is to keep us in and keep people out and to know that they're better than them. That's what they thought the law of Moses was. And Jesus upended that. I wonder about us Christians today then. Do we have rules that we use on others but don't use on ourselves? Or maybe we do, but we pick and choose how the rules apply to us. Do we have rules to keep people out so that we can remain in a silo saying we are saved and they are not? Do we have rules that tell people, do these things and you'll be Christian, i.e. believe in Jesus plus more. And not just, so not just believing in Jesus, but believe in Jesus plus more. Like do more of these things or do these and that. Do we have rules that we create to prop us up, making us more morally superior than others when we really, when we really are as sinful as everyone else? There is only one rule to be God's children, and that is believe in Jesus. Believe. How is that defined? It is faithful to him and trust and obey him. 
Believe, meaning submitting to Jesus as our Lord of our lives and allowing the Holy Spirit to cleanse us from our sin and allowing his light to guide us to life. If we ever add anything to it, sort of like what the Galatians and the Galatians did and the Thessalonians did, if you recall, for those who studied those two letters, they thought that it's not just believing in Jesus is enough. They thought believing in Jesus plus more. If we ever add anything on top of merely of the basic rule, one ultimate rule of thumb is to believe in Jesus. If we add anything to it to prevent people from coming into the community of God's children, we truly need to ask ourselves, do we truly believe in Jesus? And are we truly free from our sin? Amen. Thank you.